0: Okay. So, Jesus said, on this rock, he was talking to Peter. Peter just made the profession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, don't lose heart. And don't get cynical. Because God is up to something. That's right. So never, never fall prey to the temptation to look around and say, it's all going to fall apart. Amen. Because Jesus is not in the business of building stuff that falls apart. The gates of hell are not going to prevail. So we can take heart. Take heart, brothers and sisters. Persevere. Persevere. Keep sowing, the harvest is going to be great. Now, specifically, I want to talk about unity without compromise in the body of Christ. In our circles, I've, I've had a front row seat to watch, and I mean, a lot of us here have. Have to see the ins and outs of people who come and people who go and the conflicts and fallout that happen afterwards. So I just want to give some thoughts about how we as brothers and sisters in Christ handle and walk through problems in the church body. Because there are going to be problems. It's very similar to marriage. Marriages have conflict. And marriage, marriages sometimes need counseling to, for the husband and wife to be brought to God's Word and shown, okay, here's, you know, wife, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what you need to change, what you need to repent of. Husband, here's what you're doing wrong, here's what you need to change, what you need to repent of. Here's how you guys are just not communicating, you're just not hearing each other, and you've got somebody else speaking into your life, helping you see this is what God's Word says to help bridge the gaps, patch the holes in, in the marriage. Well, the same thing happens... In church relationships sadly i think somehow we've gotten this idea of church relationships that they're they they do not need the same kind of thing but they do all human relationships do siblings get a front row seat they get direct counseling as you're growing up your parents are constantly counseling you don't hit your sibling that's that's biblical counseling right and then the, the parents are trying to teach their children as they grow here are, here's how we handle conflict. Here's how you talk to your brother. Here's how you talk to your sister. So parent-child, there's that direct counseling going on. In the realm of the church, though, there still needs to be a way that we work through conflict because those conflicts are still going to arise. Here's an area where it's easy to get cynical because we live in a day and time where people are used to church shopping. Church shopping and church hopping are common practices in our day and age, because we have lost sight, I believe, of the view of the church as a covenant body, a family, and instead it is, it is a service, it is a club, it is a place where you go to get X filled in your life, and then you go back to life as normal. But the biblical picture of the church, I believe, is much more integrated and much more covenant-driven, much more family-like. When you're in a family and your sibling is annoying, you don't have the option of saying, Okay, I don't really like it here. I'm going to go find a different family. Because you're in a family. You're stuck. So you better learn to work through it with your sibling or you're going to have a a sad brother-sister relationship, right? But in the church... We're a family in much the same way. And if every time conflict arises, we leave and we go find another family with less annoying siblings, at least less annoying for a while. Then we miss out on the opportunity to grow in the image of Christ. When we look through scripture, we see churches are based on locations a lot of the time. Letters are written to the church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus. Now, I am not... Condemning denominations, there are some doctrinal distinctions that are big enough where even though we can still be, well, I mean, obviously there are some that are actually heresy, right? You can't, I can't fellowship with a Mormon because he believes in a different Jesus. That's that's one category. And then there are some things where there's a strong enough doctrinal distinction where, while we're still allies, we're still fighting for the kingdom of God. I can't necessarily meet with you in worship because we're just so different in our doctrinal outplay even if we're still on the same page for the kingdom of God. However, there are many, many, many doctrinal distinctions that if we don't learn how to work through them and work together in the context of those differences, we'll never be effective as a church. We'll never be an effective body. The whole point of a body, scripturally speaking, is that you have many members and they're all different, and they're designed for different functions. And the goal is not for each of them to go do their thing by themselves, but for them to learn and be built up together where they're working as a unit. Okay, so there's, there's kind of the premise laid out. Now let me get to the text. Ephesians 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That's worth reading again. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Are we talking about tolerance for sin? Of course not. But are we talking about tolerance for differences? Of course we are. And are these differences real? Are we talking the difference between, you know, uh, a six, you know, uh, above the knee skirt and a below the knee skirt? Well, yes. But we're talking about much bigger differences than that. We're talking about doctrinal disagreements. We're not talking about salvation or foundational doctrinal disagreements to where we can't fellowship together in in effective unity but we are talking about doctrinal disagreements we're talking about applicational disagreements we're talking about people who do watch the x movies and who don't watch x movies and people who do drink alcohol biblically within biblical limitations right we're not talking about drunkenness right if your brother or sister says well i have liberty in christ to be drunk i'm sorry the bible says you do not So we don't compromise there. But there is room for, I'm convicted against drinking alcohol. I'm not convicted against drinking alcohol. I'm just convicted against drunkenness. Okay, that's covered by this, right? Uh, Different standards of modesty. We should all agree that nakedness is something that God clothes. God calls us to be modest and decent in how we dress and interact with each other. But this lady wears pants. This lady's convicted against wearing pants. If that's all it takes to mean that we can no longer fellowship, we are in a sad state as the body of Christ. Jesus says, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we can't show that love for one another, then we're failing at our very very basic task. That's square one for church life. So, some distinctions demand separation. That's number one. Some distinctions do demand separation. But number two, most of them that we see separating the church are not distinctions that demand separation. They're distinctions that we have to work through if we're going to grow. So, number three, a passion for unity is different than a cynical attitude. Ephesians 4.3 I don't think I got to that verse yet. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That implies work. That implies that you have to really want this. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace means I am going to work at this. I'm going to sweat for this and bleed for this because Jesus bled for his church. And so will I. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. A passion for unity. Which means we cannot accept the cynical norm that church life is one broken relationship after another. That is not what God designed the church to be. And if we accept that, then we have accepted an unbiblical way of looking at the bride of Christ. We're supposed to be a unified people. And it takes work. Okay? So, then, then what? Number four, learning to overlook So these are just points to guide our interaction with brothers and sisters in Christ. Learning to overlook. We need a lot of gospel grace grease. The church is like an engine. And what do you need in an engine for it to work without overheating and blowing a head gasket? You need oil because it lubricates the pistons. And when the pistons are lubricated, even though there's all that heat and all that turmoil going on inside that motor they're not building up friction and heat because they are lubricated. The body of Christ has to be lubricated by gospel grace if we're going to get anywhere. If this motor is going to turn, then we need an understanding of the gospel as foundational, of grace towards one another, of how much I have been forgiven and how much I am called to forgive you, of how much Jesus loves me and how much, therefore, I can love you—that is the grease that has to soak our relationships, or we won't. It won't work. That friction will overpower us if we are not coming from a position of grace towards one another. Of you know what? I disagree with you on this. I think you might. I think you're wrong on this one. That's okay. It not just not just that's okay in like a. They're there, pat on the head. You will one day be as mature of a Christian as I am. But that's okay. Like, really, that's okay. I don't have it all figured out. God is on the throne. Jesus is building his church. And maybe I need you to keep believing that way. Maybe you're going to balance me out. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we're both seeing the same truth from different angles. And the Lord's using that to shape us into the image of Christ. We serve a God who is far too great to be represented by any one of us. And far too often our pride makes us think that what is the, uh, I'm thinking of a scriptural quote, Surely you are the people. The, I can't remember who said that, but it, I believe it was sarcastic towards someone who was just, he was all up on himself. He was proud. And the response was, Surely you are the people, and with you all wisdom shall die, or something like that. That's what our pride wants to tell us. That I've got it all right. And if everybody else looked like me, then we'd be an effective church. But that's a lie. Scripture tells us, no, 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 no. You are a hand. You are a eye. You are an ear. You are, you're this specific part in the body of Christ. And because of that, you're going to see things a certain way. Don't judge everybody else for seeing it the way they see it. You pursue Christ with your gifting. Don't lose heart. And we need gospel grease to be able to Love each other in that way. Now the next one, number five, speaking the truth in love. One of the problems that we have in communication, and you see this in many areas, I mean husband-wife communication is one. Where people don't speak the truth in love. I'm, I'm mad, but I'm not going to tell you why I'm mad. I'm just going to stew until you feel bad enough to change. Of course, you don't know why you're supposed to feel bad because I haven't told you. But you better figure it out because I'm going to be mad until you do. That's not Biblical. Scripture calls us to speak the truth in love. Usually, people default to one or the other. You either have people who are happy to speak the truth, and they'll speak it as soon as it comes to their mind, as soon as they notice, as soon as they feel wrong, whatever, just bam, have some truth, without love, without compassion, without caring for you, without praying through and getting in the Spirit, without praying first. That's just always a good step. Pray first. Then you have the the people on the other side who are so concerned about being loving that they won't actually speak the truth because it might hurt feelings. It might offend people. Well, that's actually, that's not biblical love. You're called to speak the truth. So we have to do both. Speak the truth in love. You have to talk about the issues. And when you speak the truth, we have to use biblical terms. If you're not using biblical terms, we can't deal with it biblically. When you say there was spiritual abuse going on, I can't do anything with that. The Bible doesn't talk about that. What spiritual abuse could span the gap from a huckster on TV extorting money from little grandmas at home to, you know, I'll send you this magic prayer cloth if you mail me your $200. Is that spiritual abuse? You bet. Or this pastor over here who uses his position to obtain inappropriate favors from young women in his congregation. Is that spiritual abuse? You bet. Or me snipping at my wife. Is that spiritual abuse? Yeah. I'm abusing my authority as a husband in anger. Are those the same thing? No. Those are completely different categories, right? So we have to use biblical terms. When we're going to speak the truth, we need to be able to say, what's going on here is deception, or there's anger, or there is manipulation. There is... Find the biblical term. And once we have a biblical term that we're speaking the truth about in love, now we can work through it. We can't deal with it so long as it's in these broad strokes terms that are largely from the world. So we speak the truth in love number 6. This balances out speaking the truth in love. What does James say? Be quick to hear and slow to speak. We want to jump to speaking the truth in love. James says, wait, "Wait, wait, wait. Listen first, then speak the truth in love. Be slow to speak." So be quick to hear, be quick to listen. And once you've spoken the truth in love, now I've spoken the truth in love. Now what do you have to say? What is your response? What is your perspective? I want to learn and grow from you. Like, really, I want to listen. I want to learn. I don't know it all. Number seven, don't grow weary. Diligent to preserve means we persevere. That means you keep speaking the truth in love. That means you keep listening. That means you keep praying for one another. And you keep being gracious to one another. And you keep meditating on God's love for me so that I can spill that love over on the people around me. So don't grow weary. Don't get cynical. And spend a lot of time in prayer for the body of Christ. Jesus was concerned for the body of Christ. Jesus was concerned for his bride. Last one, don't leave. Don't leave your covenant family. You have That doesn't mean there's never a time to move. If God's calling you to, then fine. But you're never going to be able to work through issues if you don't stay stay around long enough to work through them. The biblical pattern is clear. We're called to grow up into unity. You can't grow up into something if you keep getting replanted. The whole point is put down roots, grow up and bear fruit. That's God's design. So we want to seek unity and not sameness. We want to seek camaraderie without compromise. And there is a way to do this. That is what we're called to do as the body of Christ. So let's not lose heart. Let's be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And let's pray, pray, pray for the church of Christ. Because it takes miracles. Because we're all broken. It takes the moving of the spirit of God to bring that kind of unity and that kind of revival. But we serve the kind of God who answers big prayers. Shame on us if we're content to pray cynical prayers instead of dreaming big dreams and seeing a big vision for the glory of Christ and the advancement of his kingdom. Amen.